Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about four rhythms that help you reduce stress and anxiety and take charge of your emotional health. Rest, restore, connect, create. These ideas come from Rebecca's best-selling book, Rhythms of Renewal, trading stress and anxiety for a life of peace and purpose. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's live in rhythm. Hi, I'm Gabe, and welcome to another edition of Rhythms for Life. We are so glad that you're with us today, and we're getting to sit down and talk to just one of my favorite people, and I bet one of your favorites, especially if you like to read, and it's Max Licato. And he is just such a gift, and you're going to hear a grandfatherly voice of wisdom as we have conversation. But before we get into that, a couple things I want to update you on. One is, many of you have responded, many of you are making your plans, you're traveling, you're going to be with us November 20 and 21st here in Franklin, Tennessee, our hometown, to join us for a renewal retreat. We're going to have with us Kurt Thompson. We're going to also have a couple of our counselors with us. Rebecca and I are going to be a part of this over two days, really taking a deep look at our own mental health, emotional health, physical health, and how do we live out these rhythms as a part of our daily life. So I know some of you, you haven't been able to travel much. Maybe you're in a situation where that's not wise for you. But for those who can come, we're creating a great experience for 100 people. And we're starting to get pretty limited on the seats. So if you want to join us and be a part of a great community of people that are going to be talking through this, getting a chance to do the Q&As with Rebecca, with Kurt Thompson, with all the other guests that we have, I just think it's going to be a great experience. And there's nothing like fall in Franklin. I mean, we're going to be right on downtown Main Street. You're going to be able to walk to great dinners at places like Gray's and Puckett's and so many of the great places that have made this town so wonderful. And so we just hope that you will join us. If you're still interested, go to rebeccalions.com slash renewal retreat, and you can get all the details and go ahead and register. And if you want to come with a friend or spouse, like we've got rates that help you do that. So please join us and we'll look forward to meeting you in person that weekend. Now, as we move into the conversation today, Max Licato recently wrote a book called You Are Never Alone, Trust in the Miracle of God's Presence and Power. And it's that conversation we wanted to have with Max today, who is such a soothing voice and who brings just the Spirit of God into these conversations. And I think we'd all agree right now that's what we need a little more of. So let's listen in now to our conversation with Max Licato. Max, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast. It's so great to have you on. Wow, it's my treat. Thank you both. It's a it's a joy to talk to you. I hope you're doing well and yep. and holding up in these crazy times. We are, and you know what we've so appreciated, and I know so many of our listeners have, it has just been your consistent, calming voice. I think everybody's mm-hmm. going to experience that over this conversation, but you have such a rooted, grounded way about you uh, that brings a sense of calm. I think it gives people... Uh, the bigger sense that God's in control whenever we read your writings or hear you talking. And and I just want to get underneath that a little bit as to where where does that come from for you? You've lived a lot of life, but no matter what seems to come our way, you have this consistent presence to how you're approaching it. And I know that's grounded in your faith, but what are some of the things in your life that, rhythms even, that keep you kind of rooted and grounded during crazy times? You know, I hear that quite a bit, and and I've tried to 
Yeah, I post messages online. I do these little eight to ten minute encouraging messages three times a week. And oftentimes people will say, the sound of your voice calms me. Mm-hmm. And I really don't know what that is. I, I honestly don't. I'm, I've, I don't want to overanalyze it either. But um, I do think uh, that I don't wrestle a lot with anxiety. I, I don't. I feel like I'm at peace. I feel like I have one advantage that others don't, and that is I'm I'm just really a rascal at heart. You know, I'm I'm, a, I'm an I'm an old drunk. Uh, I was a mess, uh, and uh, my conversion story is a is a bit dramatic. I mean, it's been many years, but I haven't forgotten. I know exactly where I was headed. I would have. I wouldn't have lived probably to make. I would. I don't think I would have made it to forty if I did, I probably would have gone through two or three marriages and left a, a wake of people bobbing in my speedboat of personal ambition and, and addictions. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really not overstating this. I was really a mess. I was really a mess. And so I think I've tried plan B so much that I'm really at peace. Uh, I don't have all the questions of faith answered. There are many I, I still wrestle with. But the big ones of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, I, I, I think in my heart of hearts, I, I believe it. And maybe maybe that's where that that mm. comes from. Max, how old were you when that transformation happened? I was in my early 20s. Um, wow. I was, a, I was a student in college, and um, I did go to church just because that's what good Texas boys did. Uh, I was a drunk on every other night. Uh, except Sunday night when there would be a college. They had meals for college kids, so I would go and eat food. And uh, I guess I could say if you had a teenage daughter, you would not have wanted her to go out (laughs) with me, uh, with Max Locato in those days. Well, I love how you're saying, even through that transformation in your early 20s, would you say that the peace that began then just continued? Did you have any relapse moments or questioning God, even along your faith journey? The relapse that I've had has been, could God forgive me uh, for being, he's so good to me. He's just so good to me. And mm. and that there have been seasons that I, uh, I struggled. Uh, I looked twice where I shouldn't have looked once. Uh, there was a stretch there where I was, even as a pastor, I was uh, drinking again. And uh, I can recall an occasion I was going to speak at a men's retreat. And by the way, I'm not a, I'm not anti-drinking. I'm just I was drinking too much. And I can recall an occasion I was going to uh, speak at a men's retreat. And and uh, while on, in route, I stopped at a convenience store and and bought a beer. And then I saw some of our church members, so I kind of hid it down by my thigh in the brown paper bag. And I went out and I got in the car and I started up the car and I just felt, I really felt the Holy Spirit say, mm. what in the world are you doing? Wow. You're doing something you have to hide, you know? And, and so I can sense that I've had to be careful because those old uh, struggles can come back around. Sure. I'm so grateful that you're speaking to this and you're being honest about it, because I think a lot of people who've grown up in the church at least had that transformation moment, whether it was earlier in life, early in their adult life, there almost feels like there's not a lot of public acknowledgement of struggle beyond that point, especially if your platform is ministry and you're supposed to 
be seen as the person who doesn't struggle or doesn't have it all together. And all of a sudden, those things be, can become secret just naturally because you've got to put on that persona of having it together. So my question would be, for you in particular, what would be the thing that kind of triggered that desire? Was it loneliness um, out of community? What would be the thing? Yeah, what a great question. Man, you guys ask terrific questions. <laughs> no wonder your podcast well, is just, so popular. I'm just asking because, <laughs> you know, we all understand that relapse. What you were talking about, and that is people who are, are public figures in a spiritual way, uh, we tend to think that perfection is what we need to present. And um, I've learned the hard way when I try to present perfection is when I struggle the most. It's just an unbearable hill to climb. Right. It is so steep. And I I think I'm happiest when I'm trying to not trying to hide anything, you know? Wow. Uh, I can recall, for example, we're talking here about that period. It, it, it's been about, I think it was like 2003 that this was going on. And so I, I would have an, a weekly meeting. I was senior pastor, uh, and I'd have a weekly meeting with our church elders. And uh, about uh, uh, within this struggle time, after that incident at the convenience store happened, uh, I told them, I just told them, I said, here's what's going on. I'm not proud of this. And they were so good to me. And uh, back in those days, we had a Wednesday night prayer service, and it was really well attended. We had a lot of people who'd come just for prayer. And so uh, I came out of that elders meeting, and Wednesday afternoon went straight to that prayer meeting. And I said, okay, church, here I am. Here's I've blown it right here. And they were so good to me. They were so good to me. And so I, I've realized that happiness as a pastor is not perfection. It's just honesty, you know, not, not playing games with the church. Uh, they don't expect a pastor to be perfect. Look in the Bible, for crying out loud. Moses was a murderer before he was a liberator. Right. The apostle Peter denied Christ before he preached Christ on, on Pentecost. Paul killed Christians before he discipled Christians. And so the people in the Bible were people, just like we are. And so we don't do ourselves any favor for trying to come across as anything better than we are. Well, the freedom you experience through confession, which sounds like that's what you did, Isn't you know, you, right? right in front of yeah. your people, just confession gives us that freedom. So thank you for sharing just all those details with us today. I'm sure a lot of people don't know the depths of that story. And I, I wonder, when did your writing gift become clear to you? Was that something early in life? Is that something that came a little later? Well, uh, all of my life, I've enjoyed books. I've, I really have. And, uh, and I've actually enjoyed writing. Uh, I didn't wince when the teachers would give writing assignments. And so I've, I've enjoyed the world of words. Soon after I became a Christian in my early 20s, uh, some friends of mine uh, invited me to spend a summer with them on a mission trip to South America. We ended up deciding to become missionaries, so I went to seminary. And that's when I really discovered I love to write, and I love to write about faith. When I was in Brazil, I, I wrote a book, and I sent it to 15 publishers, 14 rejected it, and then the 15th one said yes, mm -hmm. and that opened the door, and so I, I, I wrote another book, and then another, and then another. By the time we left Brazil, after five years, I had written three and a half books, 
and I just got in a rhythm of of writing, mm-hmm. uh, and so I've just kept that up uh, all the years. So, what did that rhythm of writing look like? I've I've written a few books. We call it the Anxiety Trilogy in the last eight years, and I never wrote until I didn't pick up a pen until I was. I mean, I wrote in my journal. Let's be honest, almost daily, but never in a way that I thought would become public consumption. But how does that look for you over a lifetime? Are there seasons where the writing rhythm is more intense for a deadline? Or is it just like, this is no matter whether there's a book on the horizon or not, I get up every day and write for X amount of words? What a good question. Uh, You know, I, I never could figure out if I was a pastor who wanted to write or a writer who wanted to pastor. I picked up that line from who, what was his name? I'm, I'm writing a book on having a good memory, but I keep forgetting what I'm going to say in the book. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you can't write if you haven't lived it yet, right? <laughs> what was his name? Oh, oh, True Blood, Elton True Blood. Uh, he wrote 40 books in his life. He was wow. a he was a great. Uh, and he wrote, every book was about a hundred pages long. Uh, and he had a little cabin he would go right at, 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 up in, I think, northern New York. He called it Push Pin Cabin. Anyway, years and years ago, he wrote a book. He said, I mean, he had that line in a book. He said, I don't know if I'm a pastor who wants to write or a writer who wants to pastor. Mm. I don't, I don't, I'm so glad I never had to make the choice because right. I've been able to do both. I still preach, even though I'm uh, not senior pastor anymore. I'm what we call teaching pastor. So I, I still preach about half the time for the church, which pushes me into a study mode for, you know, a good portion of the year. And all of my books begin as sermons. Uh, and so that that outward discipline, that outward calendar requirement of needing to generate uh, a sermon, initially a, at least two sermons a week. Now, one sermon every two weeks is about what it is. That outward discipline is really what spawns uh, my study and my writing. And, and and so knowing that those sermons will more than likely become a book, I think I'm pretty meticulous early on. Uh, I write the sermon out uh, in manuscript form and and, and uh, present try to prepare it like it's a, a going to be a book chapter. And usually it takes me two or three months to preach a sermon series. And then it takes me another three or four months to take that sermon series and turn it turn it into a book. I think that's why all your projects, when they release, they're so poignant, because when you've had to teach it, it's because the Spirit's just brought that to the surface for you personally. I was just thinking about your last project about anxiety. It came out when anxiety was truly at a tipping point more than any other time in our lifetime, as far as the statistics and the people struggling with it. And then this project that you have now about loneliness. I mean, who would have thought that this would release in a year where people are suffering devastating, crippling effects of loneliness because of COVID-19? Isn't that crazy? And I think the gift of preaching, so the prophetic gift of a word in season, then spills out into a word in season in your writing. Yeah, I, I sure hope so. I, I mean, I I love our church, and and uh, at being here, I've been in the same place since 1988, and I I think after so many years, the church becomes a bit like a spouse to you, and and I pick up on I sense things that I I couldn't sense early on. But I can sense things. I, I sense that boy, everybody just seems lonely. Everybody's overworked. 
or there's a certain spirit of fear over the church, you know, and, and, and you just pick it up kind of like you would from your own kids. Mm -hmm. so, does that make sense? Yeah. And, and so I usually respond to that. I, I respond to that. Right yesterday, I began a sermon series uh, based on the book of Esther, the book of Esther, because uh, I, I, I was trying to find a theme, a study that would be something like a global calamity. Right. And, and so I thought, oh, wait, I've never, Esther, that's great, you know? And so I dug into that and, and I think it's going to be good, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to, you know, just respond like you guys do to, to what's going on in the world around us. And, and talk about loneliness. I mean, the, obviously COVID-19's really put a spotlight on this, but I wonder if you have a different perspective on it. I mean, loneliness was already growing in our society. In some ways, has this COVID experience helped this become more clear to people? Has it helped people find those that they love and start to rectify some of that? How are you seeing it right now? What I've been surprised, and I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on this, I've been surprised at the negative impact that loneliness has on our our physical bodies. CNN had a report a couple of months ago that that loneliness can severe loneliness or isolation is has the same impact as a pack of cigarettes a day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did yes. you see that? Yes, I've heard that just recently. Yeah. And so it's just taking its toll on us. And uh, we've seen the statistics about how depression is up, and of course the heartbreaking statistics about uh, suicide. And and I'm even. I guess I'm a little bewildered, maybe I shouldn't be, but a little bewildered that divorce rates have gone up so much. I think I read 26% over filings for divorce or up 26% over what they were last year. Does that surprise you? Well, it seems the focus of people not having distraction anymore to keep them away from maybe what was already a relational struggle has now brought that very clearly to mind and they've decided, I just don't want to go on anymore. Yeah, we know friends personally that um, when you're stuck in the same house for weeks at a time, all of a sudden those things that could be dusted under the rug, you couldn't hide. <laughs> they all came to the surface. And the sad part for me is that in the time where these marriages desperately needed community to come around them, they didn't have that. And so there's a despair that can set in when you don't have a regular a girlfriend for the wife or a guy for the husband or a couple meeting another couple over coffee or a meal to just express like, we're here with you, we're for you, like, we don't want you to feel alone in this. And I just think this year in particular heightened that lack of support, social support and emotional support that, that marriages really do need to thrive. It's it's disheartening, isn't it? I mean, it's it, all it, it, as if it wasn't tough enough. Now bless these people's hearts that are going through a divorce because you know they don't they didn't marry wanting a divorce. You know, I mean, this is a this is their world is turned upside down, and they're dealing with the guilt, the anger, maybe the shame. If they have kids, the regret that they're passing this on to their kids. So it's a it's a hard time. It's a it's a hard time, and I don't want to ever leave the impression, you know, that that uh, I'm looking down on these people who are going through a divorce. Uh, I'm just saying it's got to be especially especially tough uh, in in a, in the midst of all this. 
Now, when you wrote this book, You Are Never Alone, and you were, you're writing about God's presence, you chose to focus on the Gospel of John as kind of the, the book that really gets into this perspective that would really be important to us in this moment. Could you describe what was so unique about the Gospel of John as you approach loneliness? I've uh, loved John like others have. John's a favorite gospel. It's, it's got so many elements to it that are make it enjoyable to read. But a unique feature of John's gospel, you know, is that he declares at the end of the gospel why he wrote it. You know, we were talking about writing, right? And so John, as a, as a gospel writer, uh, explains that I wrote this, I collected these signs, these events, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he said if he were to try to collect all the things that Jesus had done, that there wouldn't be a you know library large enough to to house them, which may be hyperbole, may not be. I mean, he saw a lot of things, but he said I wanted I went I self edited I self edited, and I selected these signs because I think if you understand these signs, you will have life. You'll have that zoe. You'll have that deep, abundant, rich life. And so I wondered, what is it about the miracle of water to wine, the miracle of the, the, the man at the pool of Bethesda, the blind man, the blind beggar, the raising of Lazarus? So I, I, went, in, I went into a study of the miracles of John with that lens. What is it about this, this miracle that can help Max Lucado or help anybody especially if they need life, if they feel lifeless. What, what is it about these? So here the idea then is that if you want to have life, you don't have to have another human being to have it. That's a great thought in a season in which we're isolated. And we tend to think we have to have other people to give us life, and heaven knows they sure do help. But, but here uh, John positions Christ as a source of life that even if you're all by yourself. Even if you're in a hospital and nobody can visit you, or you're in a, uh, you know, in, a, in a senior citizen's home and you can't have guests, or if you're in prison, if you're in a position where you're hunkered down, bunkered down, you're locked down, I think you can still have life, I can almost hear John saying. Look what Jesus did here, 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 and here. So that was the approach I took to studying this book. And again, this was all pre-pandemic. I actually did the edits last March when we were in lockdown. So I had the opportunity to insert just a paragraph or two about the pandemic. But I really am grateful that God had this on the runway uh, to to be available to us during these days. Yes, especially, like you said, those who might not have in the near future an ability to really be with the people they love. Maybe they have a compromised immunity or they're long distance. And I have come to find, especially in this last decade, that obviously solitude and loneliness are very different because solitude still means that that you are with the Savior, that He is with you, Emmanuel. He is right there. And sometimes that presence feels more potent when you have the quiet 
when nobody else is around trying to talk to you in that moment or, you know, we have four kids that are trying to get out the door every morning. So trust me, there's not a lot of solitude. <laughs> but when it happens, I had it just this weekend for a couple days. And I think it's the first time in five months that I've had extended time alone with God. And I cannot express enough how revived my soul was. Because again, it's just that secret place where you can hear that still small voice and sense his nearness. And I'm so grateful that you wrote a, a project around that topic so that people could encounter that Zoe, that divine, eternal resurrection power kind of life that Jesus promises. May it be so. When you were off uh, on your two days, uh, was this a, a predetermined uh, escape to get away and spend time with the Lord? Or, or was this just something that happened and you looked up and yes. you had some quiet? Well, the way it happened is it was predetermined. And then as of two days prior, I thought I wasn't going to get to go because childcare kind of fell through. And then a friend helped us out and I could still go. We were hosting some people, but I had a lot of carp time just for myself. And it's so interesting that just to be vulnerable, like initially I just said, God, I miss you. I miss this long unedited intimacy because it just hasn't seemed to work sometimes in a house full of people that are always around. And especially with needs, we have two children that have special needs. So that kind of compounds the daily demand. And while I'm grateful, wouldn't trade it, it still does leave um, a depletion. And so I want to speak to the listener today who might be listening to Max, and it's true, Max, you have a comfort and a cadence <laughs> in your words that we already feel blessed and ministered to just by you being on. But I would encourage you to get this book because I do think the nearness of God is so palpable when we just intentionally take time. And that is hard. That's a luxury for some people. It has to, for me, look before this, you know, right around when the sun's coming up because... That's when the house is quiet. Um, but whatever that looks like, when those moments happen, there is a refreshing that reminds you, like I was thinking about why have I felt God be a little more distant? And it hit me later that night in bed. It's like kind of like that first letter to Ephesus, just saying you were you were steadfast and you persevered and you you were righteous, but you somehow, you can lose that first love. You can lose the time and the investment and the desire because you're just so pulled in so many directions. And so this is just an invitation to come back to like that He draws near to those who draw near to Him. What would you say? What would be a parting thing? I would say that, you know, for years, most of us preachers, we have a yeah, hip pocket sermon, I call it, that if somebody called me and said, can you get over to our church in 30 minutes and preach, <laughs> mm -hmm. that I would have one or two that I could always pull out of my hip pocket. And I've got one. And the outline is, let God love you. Let God heal you. Let God hold you. And let God have you. Mm. And and I just, all, those, all four of those thoughts, and there's probably some others we could add, but when I have a time with the Heavenly Father that's truly nourishing, it's when I let Him do that work, when I let Him do that work. And I'm quiet, I'm quiet, uh, and I pray, and, and, and I 
I let him love me. I just sit there and say, Lord, I'm going to let you love me. I believe it. I believe you saw me before I was born. I believe you knew me from, you know, birth to hearse. And, and you still said, I want him. I want Max in my kingdom. And I'm going to let you heal me. I'm going to, you know, Lord, I'm still ticked off at so-and-so or it really hurt when that happened. I'm going to let you hold me. I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that you uh, know what tomorrow holds. And I'm, I'm just going to trust you. It's tough. It stinks. It's hard. But, Lord, I'm going to let you hold me. And I... And I'm going to let you have me. You know, I'm, I'm just going to believe, Lord, that you bought my soul and I've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And, and so, you know, kind of going through that, that sense of prayer, because I tend to get real quickly into, Lord, would you please bless this or help me do this or, or fix this or reveal this to me? And uh, I think that's okay, but uh, I believe that other posture of being quiet in front of the Lord and, and letting him do these things to us that he really wants to do, that he really, really wants to do and desires to do. That's, that's that sense of letting the Holy Spirit nourish your heart and soften it. Uh, and and uh, that's the time that I spend with the Lord that's really special to mm. me. Well, Max, this has just been so encouraging. I know Rebecca's in tears. You know, we're just listening to your soothing voice uh, help minister to us. And I know to everybody who's listening now, walking through maybe loneliness like they've never experienced before, but knowing where they can find true comfort and knowing that he's there for them. And so we just thank you for your ministry, for your love for every human being, and for just gifting us with your words. You're being too kind. You're being too kind. I'm just an old, I'm an old converted drunk. So that's the best thing. <laughs> well, praise God you're converted because we, I don't know Put where that we'd on my be gravestone. With, <laughs> I don't know where we'd be without all these books, Max. You know, I did have a line once for my gravestone. I, I told somebody, just put pretty good for an old drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, we love you. We're so grateful. Keep writing as long as you can because it's such a gift and I know God uses it for such a time as this especially now that you're writing on Esther so we'll be excited about that thank you all the very best to you both thank same you. to you I told you it'd be like listening to your grandfather and, I, and he has such wisdom and so we just loved having him with us so just a reminder get his book you're never alone great Christmas gift great book to just have in the living room and pull out and read a chapter maybe with your family with your kids with your spouse and again if you want to join us in Franklin Tennessee November 20 to 21 Go take advantage of that now. I would say this week, make your move on that to join us as a part of the Renewal Retreat. And you can learn more about that at RebeccaLyons.com slash Renewal Retreat. And we'll look forward to seeing you there. We hope you have a wonderful week.